financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my co-host Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. And uh, joining us from Washington is the pride of Gary, New York, <laughs> Casadega Valley High School, SUNY Brockport, Let's SUNY Albany. You got a master's yeah. at SUNY Albany. Let's That's let's right. go go yeah. around the entire state here. <laughs> Big Bills fan, Bill Sabres fan, and covering a story or two uh, in our <laughs> nation's capital lately. Ryan Nobles of NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Hey Tim. Hey Jonah. Thank you guys for both having me. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, been on with you guys, so I'm I'm excited. There's a lot we have to catch up on. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I you know. Uh, I reached out to you because your name uh, was brought up on a recent podcast in which uh, we were talking. I, I think I just brought it up almost as a stream of consciousness type thing about <laughs> the difficulty of covering Capitol Hill mm -hmm. and the chops that are needed for that, not only because of the number of issues that you need to be educated on, but just on the mere concept of knowing who the hell everybody is, yeah. <laughs> because you have a hundred yeah. senators, uh, you have several hundred uh, house of representatives, 435, 435, 435 yep. thank yep. you. <laughs> um, do you think you could name them all by sight? A uh, house members? Absolutely not. Nope, no. Okay. No. I, I could definitely name all hundred senators without a problem. Uh, 435, House members. So the, the, there's a twofold problem with the House. The first is the sheer volume. So there are just so many of them. It's very hard to get all of them in your head. And then the companion problem to that is that they uh, run every two years. So you have a turnover every two years of anywhere between, you know, 75 to 100 new members, depending on the election year. So just when you think you've got critical mass of the number of members of house uh, of members of the house in your head, there's a whole new crop of them that come in. But I bet, you know, I, if you, I, I'd hate to like put myself out there, but if you, if we did some sort of a test, um, I'd probably be able to get maybe uh, a third to a half uh, on a good day. Uh, there's a lot of them that I know by sight, like I know that's a member, I know what committee they're on. But maybe if you press me on what name or what state they're from, I'm not going to get it every time. But I feel like I've got enough of a handle on it where uh, if I need to go find somebody, I can figure out how to do that. A meeting is adjourning uh, and there is a sea of um, legislators, their assistants, their aides, pages, whomever, mm -hmm. staffers coming out of a given room or a certain wing of the Capitol. And you're playing defense because you're trying to pick out a couple of people uh, that you need to get for uh, comment on issues X, Y, Z. Right. One month of one month of. All right. I'll spit this out because I am uh, operating on some NyQuil here. <laughs> one month ago, could you have picked Mike Johnson out of that crowd? Yeah, I could have. I've, I've known of him for a while. Um, he's been up here. I think he, he's in his fourth or fifth term. So he's not uh, he's not somebody that was unknown to us. Uh, and I don't mean the pretend. Phoenix Coyote, the former Phoenix Coyotes uh, winger. Yes, 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 yes. No, um, I, I I'm not going to uh, pretend that I had had some sort of close relationship with him or his staff. I know there's a bunch of us up here on Capitol Hill that we're all wishing that we had uh, made those connections. Uh, before he rose to the speakership in such a meteoric fashion. But I was definitely aware of him as a figure. Uh, he's a very um, smart 
operator. Uh, he understands the way Congress works really well. Uh, and he is a good communicator. And so he's somebody that um, even before he became known as kind of a, uh, you know, leadership, uh, you know, future rising star, uh, he was somebody who, you know, regularly you'd find uh, delivered a pretty good soundbite in a, a hearing or something along those lines. But, you know, I, I don't think it's, I mean, I see where you're going with this. And I don't think it's unfair to say that three weeks ago, uh, he was a relatively inconsequential member of Congress from a broad scale. Now, all, you know, all 435 members of Congress are consequential on some level, but this was not a guy that was, um, you know, operating uh, at a level where he was heavily involved and in influencing the way legislation was moving through uh, Congress. Uh, he was, um, you know, member of the Freedom Caucus, kind of a uh, definitely more of a conservative member, uh, uh, was on the Judiciary Committee, uh, things along those lines. Um, and he did have a leadership post, but it was a relatively low-ranking leadership post, but not somebody who, at the beginning of all of this, uh, you would have ever handicapped as uh, the next Speaker of the House. Although I will say, and Frank Thorpe, who's a, a, one of our producers who's sitting in here in the booth with me, is that I did predict to a group of our fellow members of our Capitol Hill team, including Meet the Press host Kristen Walker, and I have a text exchange to prove it, after uh, after Jim Jordan went down, I predicted that it was going to be Mike Johnson. That's pretty far along in the in the process, Tim. I'm not going to take that much credit for it, but there was a period of time where I thought that he checked enough boxes to kind of be the consensus choice, which is which is what it turned out to be. But that wasn't a common pick, even at that far along juncture. Yeah, right? I mean, this was before. Yeah, and I made that prediction before uh, Tom Emmer got pushed out, who was the next kind of man up in the leadership chain. Um, and I think there were other people that would have picked Byron Donalds of Florida as the more dark horse candidate uh, because he he has a lot of positive attributes in terms of, uh, you know, the you know things that you're looking for in a, in a leadership candidate um, and, you know, has the whole Trump connection, which I thought at that time might have been important. But the thing I think the reason that Mike Johnson kind of emerged in this space is because we didn't know that much about him. And what happened with all of the previous candidates for speaker uh, after the McCarthy ouster was that they all had enemies, um, you know, for better or for worse. And Mike Johnson was somebody that people knew of uh, and really didn't have a strong opinion of one way or the other. And that turned out to be what was necessary in this leadership battle. It wasn't gonna be somebody that was beloved. It had to be somebody that most people could shrug their shoulders and be like, okay, this guy will do. Um, and that's not, I don't mean that to in any way sound as a knock on him, um, because sometimes, especially in, in legislative leadership elections, that's one of the most important attributes is that you've got enough people that like you enough to put you in that position because, you, you know, to be polarizing, which I think Jim Jordan in particular is, uh, is, is the worst possible characteristic that you can have if you want to be Speaker of the House. Yeah, I didn't mean to get down such a nuanced uh, political <laughs> yeah. road here at the start of the show, right? We're supposed yeah, to start right. off broad and maybe narrow right. down here. So yeah. I don't know how many people are still listening, uh, but I, I'm interested. Um, I, I think that the interesting thing about Mike Johnson is that you're right. He he had that there was this vacuum where we didn't know much about him. And I think there was a fatigue uh, mm -hmm. of we need to we need to agree on somebody here and he happened to come along at the right time because he does touch a lot of third rails that yeah. had it come up or if people knew more about mike johnson I, he probably would struggle uh to be no, you you said the most important word and i remember in my in my piece for nightly news that night or actually it might have been for the today show one or the other when he finally won the job I described the conference as a fatigued conference. And that's, we've gotten to that point in this struggle where they were just like, we don't want to deal with this anymore. And we're going to take whoever is the least objectionable. And that's what he turned out to be. And, and to your point, you know, and I, you know, there's been plenty of deep dives now on his more controversial positions on a wide range of issues, but where Mike Johnson provided a bit of safe space for even some of the moderates, many of them, you know, from your neck of the woods in, in upstate New York to vote for him, is that he may have gone on a podcast and said something. He may have, uh, you know, put out a press release and said something, may have tweeted something errant, but his name isn't on a ton of pieces of legislation. He's not somebody that's like gone out, you know, he has a pretty rigid stance on abortion. He hasn't authored uh, pieces of legislation related to abortion that have become law anywhere. 
Um, you know, he has a pretty rigid stance on same-sex marriage. He has not, you know, nothing that he has done as a legislator has done any, has, has stood in the way of, of uh, gay rights anywhere in the country. He certainly said a lot of provocative things, and I can completely understand why people who hold, you know, uh, positions on those issues that are opposite of him would be nervous about him becoming Speaker of the House. But it's a lot more different. It's a lot different when someone says something versus them actually putting something into practice. And, and I think that that's what gave some members comfort in that he, he was almost a blank slate. There was really, it was hard to be uh, in opposition of him uh, because there wasn't a, a whole ton that you could point to. And I think that combined with how long they had been fighting over this led to them saying, okay, he can do it. Let's, let's, we'll just try this for now and see what happens. Joan, I'm sorry. You were going to, you were going to ask something there and I cut you off because uh, I'm a bore. I was intrigued earlier when, when Ryan was talking about some of his predictions, if he's putting together full, you know, seven round mock drafts for the speaker of the house elections <laughs> and, you know, getting a little bit of his sports writer muscles working on that. Yeah. You know, we should have done that, Jonah. That would have been a good idea. You know, sometimes we'll do, um, you know, we'll in our text thread, we'll have like a, a pool of, you know, how, you know, what, you know, especially like on president, uh, presidential election nights, we'll say, you know, uh, at, at what point do you think the race will be called or at what point do you think this state will be called or things along those lines. But, you know, what's interesting about this speaker's race uh, and, uh, you know, and going back to the initial uh, issues that Kevin McCarthy had in winning the speakership back in January, it was hard for us to to even theorize something fun like that because we'd never dealt with this before. Uh, you know, all, this this was un, an unprecedented cycle of of leadership elections in the House of Representatives. And, you know, at one point, especially during this last round of the whole speaker debacle, a couple of us kind of stopped ourselves and said, you know, this is annoying and it's been hard and we're working long hours, but wow, we, you have to stop yourself and realize that you're wish, witnessing something historic uh, that, uh, you know, there've been, you know, thousands of reporters that have covered Capitol Hill that have never covered something like this uh, as up close and personal as we did. Um, so yeah, to, to even theorize of, you know, like if you'd said to us uh, when McCarthy got booted out, you know, predict how many of these guys you, they'd go through before they'd pick a speaker. I mean, you would assume they just would have gotten the first guy in the shoot and that, because that's the way it would have gone. Nobody would have ever guessed that it took four people before they settled on someone. So that, that made it difficult to, to kind of create new pools around it. Did you have to pre-write three different uh, stories and have them all ready to go on deadline, depending <laughs> yeah. on what happened. It, it never got to the point where we actually had things pre-written, but in the case of Jordan, Jim Jordan in particular, and with Mike Johnson, uh, it never got to that point with Tom Ember because his um, candidacy was so short-lived. We had in place plans to do, you know, kind of biography-ish uh, pieces on them because uh, to most of the country, uh, to Tim's point earlier about Mike Johnson, these these guys are no name, you know, outside of their districts. No one's ever heard of of Tom Emmer or Mike Johnson and even really Jim Jordan, even though he is somewhat of a more prominent uh, national figure. So, yeah, that we were you know prepared to do that. It never got to that point because there was so much to report just around the craziness associated with it. But we were we we're geared up to do all of that for sure. You mentioned about this time in history and not just the job that you're doing as a reporter on the day-to-day -day stuff, but you are versatile. You're on meet the press, uh, at noon today, I was, uh, watching MSNBC and there's Ryan Nobles filling in the anchor chair, uh, for Andrea Mitchell. Um, I think you were on the today show recently, weren't you? Like, weren't you in studio? Uh, yeah, I was in studio one a for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. How are you absorbing all of this that's going on in the world and the fact that you are covering it? And we were talking about some of those things before we came on air. So, I mean, yeah. and it's, this isn't just the news of the day. This is the news of our time that's happening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Mike Johnson is almost the, the lighthearted fair. Uh, it's the yeah. type of Mike Johnson is the stuff that the Stephen Colbert's and Jimmy Kimmel can talk about, because if not for that, you can't yeah. joke about other things that are happening in the world today. Yeah. So can you give a, a give us a, a rundown of what's in your Venn diagram of yeah. of stories that you're that you're is 
on your on your radar? Yeah, I mean, just you know, first, just your you, kind of the first point you were making about kind of understanding my place in the world um, and kind of confronting the gravity of the of the stuff we're dealing with every day. Um, I don't know if I've, I, you know, I fully wrap my mind around it. Uh, you know, you get kind of in a uh, routine where you're, you know, we, I do this job, you know, no differently than when my father went uh, to teach school in, at, at Casadega Valley when I was a kid, you know, he got up every morning and that was his job to provide for our family. And so to a certain extent, I, you know, that's what my job is. I get up every morning and, and come up and do this. And, you know, sometimes when I have to go in late, my kids know to say, uh, you know, why, why is daddy going into work? And uh, they'll joke because the news never stops. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that has become part of my DNA just because I've done it for so long. But I think that um, I do have to stop myself uh, on a pretty regular basis and just kind of understand what a kind of tumultuous and, and potentially dangerous time that we're living in and how that kind of uncertainty and the uh, challenges associated with it are compounded by the fact that the media landscape has changed so much. Um, and, you know, even to, to sit and, and to report on these powerful platforms like the Today Show and Nightly News and MSNBC and our streaming channel, NBC News Now, which have millions of viewers, doesn't have the same influence that it did when I was watching it growing up. Uh, and, you know, the, the media has become so fractured and there's so many different places where people get their information and not all that information is accurate. Um, so, you know, to, to, to kind of understand the importance that I think my colleagues and I play in, in making sure that we're reporting news that is accurate, reliable, and that, and that people can count on is, is, can sometimes be overwhelming. And, um, you know, so that to your point, you know, it could be today I'm, uh, I would, you know, anchored on MSNBC, we're covering, uh, Robert Menendez, for instance, the uh, senator from New Jersey who's caught up in a corruption scandal, whether or not he should be getting classified briefings. Uh, you know, I'm, I had a phone call earlier today uh, talking about planning for the election next week. I'm going to go to New Hampshire uh, on Wednesday, the day of the um, the Republican debate, which NBC is uh, broadcasting. And I'm going to sit with a group of voters and watch the, the debate in New Hampshire and get their take on it. Um, you know, so you know, I cover Hunter Biden and and the legal issues that he's dealing with and the impact that could have on his father's uh, reelection campaign. So and every single one of these stories individually is is hugely consequ consequential. So it's it's uh, it's an awesome responsibility. I mean, it, it is what I've worked my whole career for. And I feel like I'm prepared for it and trained to do it the right way. But, man, it is uh, it's a lot sometimes. Uh, but luckily, I've got a really, really great team and work at a really great place where I think we, the, the, the work we do, we can be proud of. I'm trying to find out uh, if Ed Oliver's toe is okay. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I don't necessarily check every day. It might be every three or four days. So <laughs> yet, that's, that's what I'm working. I care with. about that more than, than well, the stuff that I'm doing. But isn't that some of the absurdity? It can be harder to report on Ed Oliver's toe than national, international <laughs> right. political affairs. Well, <laughs> I do think it was it was one of my more eye-opening experiences when I did a story on Michael Caputo uh, from Western New York, and right. it was essentially a story about lo local man goes into the belly of the beast. You know, it wasn't uh, mm -hmm. opinion piece at all. It was just local man going into these you know Russian investigations and right. Um, and I was at the Capitol, and I had to stop in at the press office. And they give me my badge for the day. Um, I had to sign a couple of papers, but I'll tell you, it was easier than any NFL credential I ever got. <laughs> and then the person well, is telling me, all right, now when you see a door that says um, uh, entry prohibited, you can go in there. Yeah. Uh, when you see a door that says stay out, you can go in there. When right. you see a door and it was on and on. And then finally, there was like one phrase that I had to stay out. Um, yeah. And it was pretty much, it's the government, you know, you're the for your freedom of the press. Go, right. you know, go knocking on well, Fritz Schumer's door if you want. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sitting in the Capitol right now. So my, you know, my little space uh, is in the physical Capitol building. I'm, you know, sitting right above the Senate chamber where they do their business every day. Um, we, uh, I, in 
another one of my uh, hats that I wear is that I'm the vice chair of the Radio Television Correspondents Association, which is the, the group that represents uh, radio and TV reporters that cover Capitol Hill every day. And, you know, it is, you know, this is a taxpayer funded bill, taxpayer, taxpayer funded building. So the public has every right to have access to it, but we're fighting for that access every day. And there's always, you know, I'm glad your experience was that you felt like you could get anywhere you wanted. And one of the things that we've worked really hard on through the RTCA and my fellow reporters is making sure that we continue to have that wide ranging access. And I, you know, the Capitol, thankfully, is one of the most accessible buildings in Washington, maybe any government building in the, in a, in the world in terms of, of press access. And but that's something we've had to fight for, especially in the wake of COVID. You know, after the, you know, COVID, when COVID came, the restrictions here were pretty serious as they were everywhere. And it took a lot for us to continue to kind of chip away uh, and get back to the place we were before. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's got to be so different than covering professional sports because those are private, that's a private business. And they, um, uh, you know, they can decide whatever they want and whenever they want, uh, when you can, can't be somewhere. Uh, and I think that, you know, when I, I think you knew that, you know, I started my career in, as a sports reporter way back in the day and uh, I worked in uh, Utica, but I would come to, and I worked in Rochester too, but I would come, I went to, I covered my fair share of Bills games. Uh, and I, you know, even back then uh, they needed the the local media a lot more than they do now. Um, and, you know, the NFL was popular then, but you know, the, the level of popularity they have now um, allows them to kind of make an end run around the media. So, but our access back then, I was always surprised at how much they gave us. So it doesn't surprise me that maybe that's been rolled back a little bit over the past the, 20 years. This is not an exaggeration in uh, turning off of Abbott road onto the drive that is known as one bills drive that takes you to the security gate. My parking pass alone will be checked five times. Wow. Five times. <laughs> It'll be scanned once, but checked five times by police. Erie County Sheriff will check it twice before the actual employee scans it. And then bill security will check it at the gate. And then a fifth person will check to which way he's going to direct me. Jeez. And I'm, I am exaggerating this, but, if I were to step anywhere outside of, let's say it's not game day, and I'm I get lost, I make a wrong turn down a hallway at One Bill's Drive, I'm not going to end up in cuffs, but I might get lumped up. Wow, um, you know, wow. but the capital's a little different. Yeah, <laughs> not, as, not it's not as important what goes on there, and yeah. you know, just go <laughs> ahead, and, go ahead and make yourself at home. <laughs> When yeah, do you find crazy. yourself talking, uh, chit-chatting with uh, Tommy Tuberville uh, lately? <laughs> I just talked to him yesterday. I saw that, which that's why I asked. I'm guessing yeah. he's not much for small talk. And, you know. Actually, he is. Yeah? Uh, does he like talking he, football? Uh, he absolutely does. Um, you know, whatever you think about Tommy Tuberville's current uh, uh, political positions and, you know, what he's doing with these uh, holds of uh, the military promotions uh, because of this DOD abortion policy, that's either here or there. Uh, but he is, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, it, and maybe it's all an act and whatever, but he is one of the more charming members of the Senate, a very affable guy, uh, happy to talk to you, um, you know, never turns down an interview. A lot of times his staff will try to prevent us from interviewing him, which happened yesterday and we had to chase him down the hall. But if he sees a camera, he doesn't say no to it. Um, I will tell you a funny Tommy Tuberville story, which Frank has heard like four times, but um, I was... <laughs> It was during the NCAA basketball uh, season, the year that Alabama was really good. I think they were a number one seed at the time. And he's obviously an Auburn guy. Um, and so we were leaving the Capitol at the same time. And I said, uh, everybody calls him coach. Nobody calls him senator because um, he's more proud of being a football coach, I think, than being a U.S. senator. And I said, coach, uh, you, you must not be too excited about Alabama uh, doing well in the NCAA tournament. And then as soon as I said that, it occurred to me that like, well, he still he represents the University of Alabama and the Senate and all of the, the constituents and alums that went to the University of Alabama. And he goes, well, uh, you know, I represent them all. So, you know, I hope they do well. And then he took a pause. And he looked at me, he goes, but I ain't fired up about it. <laughs> I just thought that, was, that was a perfect, uh, you know, perfect glimpse into what he's like. Um but, you know, I think the thing about Tuberville is um, not to go too far down this road, but, um, I, you know, there is something to be said about kind of understanding the way this place works. 
And I do think you can be a lot more successful here. And I think the, the, the examples of people that have had success here are either people that have had some sort of institutional knowledge when they take the job, the, his, uh, you know, kind of uh, his um, state delegation mate, uh, Katie Britt, um, who is becoming a very effective legislator, uh, was, you know, a high ranking staffer in uh, Richard Shelby, who, who she replaced uh, office for a long time. So she hit the ground running. She knew exactly how to use the levers of power in the United States Senate uh, effectively. Tupperville doesn't really have that background. He doesn't really know how this place works. I mean, he's a football coach. He tells us that all the time. And so he's thrown what essentially is a Hail Mary pass to try and prevent this uh, abortion policy from being enacted uh, in the, the Pentagon. That's not the way it works. The Pentagon's not going to respond to that. The administration's not going to change course. So he's made a lot of enemies. And now he's starting to make a lot of enemies amongst his Republican colleagues as well. And I don't know what the end game is because he's kind of put himself in a position where he said it's either my way or the highway. He has this ability, you know, he has the, the right to kind of to slow this process up. But, uh, you know, long term, I think it's uh, put him in a position where it's going to make him a lot, make it a lot more difficult for him to get anything done up here. Now I'm curious if Tommy Tuberville reads our former co-host Mike Rodak about Alabama sports and keeps up on if there's a connection there. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, he's still very, very, uh, I mean, that's, that's usually a way to get him to engage. Um, if you want to talk to him about another topic is to bring up college football or, or sports in general. I mean, that's, I mean, and which is like, you know, that's you know, every Senator's got every member of Congress has a thing that they're into. Um, and usually that's a, that's a way to meet them on a human level and get to talk to them so that they, they see you as a human person, not just as a annoying. Some of reporter. those things are known. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You... All right. This is this this is probably an on the spot question, but I think I can ask it and you will take it in such a way that it will. What about the. The known secrets, I'm not telling you to tell any, but like Hollywood. You know, you hear you hear all these secrets about what everybody knew after somebody dies. Oh, well, everybody mm -hmm. knew that. And but the public is like, really? Yeah. You know, um, you know, really? We didn't know that. Oh, yeah, it was well, it was well known, you know, in, in Hollywood circles. I'm guessing that is pretty common and what because it, it's power and there's money and yeah, there's influence. Yeah. And right. I, I don't know. Are it, how do you navigate? that and i'm not talking about you personally but how do mm -hmm. journalists are there unspoken rules i mean are there certain things i don't know well i am you know, putting I on mean, the spot here a little bit no no but, no i know mean, there I are some things asking. too i mean look, yeah. look i'll just go ahead and say it. like there were certain things that people don't want to talk about or we don't necessarily know enough about you know jonah's even mentioned it on this show before the 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 big josh allen rumors uh during the off season i mean there's a lot of, everybody's got gossip and all these things mm -hmm. Right. But where, well, where's, what's the line? Because, yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I think, I mean, this may sound a little cliche, but to me, you just have to lean on the basic rules of journalism. Right. And a lot of, um, you know, actual reporting germinates out of the rumor mill. I mean, that's the truth. Right. And so I hear rumors all day long, all day long. You, you know, I heard it. I heard a rumor, uh, I won't even bring it up, the other day about um, some back and forth with members regarding whether or not they were going to pass this Israel package. And I poked around on it, and it turned out to just be a rumor. It wasn't a reporting, a reportable fact, so I didn't report it. And so, you know, we hear rumors all the time about members' personal lives. We hear rumors all the time about, uh, you know, financial situations that they may be caught up in. We hear rumors all the time about uh, potential relationships that might exist amongst members that are maybe inappropriate or appropriate, but not necessarily um, ethical. And you have to weigh, A, whether or not there's anything that's worthwhile in the public sphere in terms of reporting it. Like, is it, does it, if I find out something salacious about a member of Congress, does it really have anything to do with their work as a member of Congress? That's the first question you have to ask. And then you've got to find out if you can actually get it confirmed and, and make it truthful. And so, you know, I think that, you know, there's probably plenty of things that I've heard through the grapevine up here. And then maybe after somebody resigns and then that comes to light, I could say, you know, oh yeah, everybody knew that. But I'm telling you, I would tell you right now, if I'm being honest, that I never knew it 
strongly enough to actually report it. And so, you know, that's hopefully what, uh, and, you know, what that's, you know, your journalism education and your understanding and your training come into play there. The issue here is that not everybody's playing by that same set of rules anymore. Yeah. Because the internet's changed that game. Yeah. I think I, cause I, I I came up with the question kind of on the fly. There was a better way for me to ask it. In fact, the more apples to apples um, comparison that I would use is what's been going on in the Bills front office for the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. one of the worst kept secrets in town was Russ Brandon. Uh, and then it wasn't an issue until it was an issue. And it was kind mm -hmm. of like, if it's not affecting his job and, you know, is that my business to report? And I didn't, right. obviously didn't think it was or else it would have been reported. Um uh, and then other COO, the, the most recent COO and the, uh, the their general counsel slash HR person in a in a relationship, and they both got fired. Um, but yeah, I think that my the the question I was getting at wasn't how you handle it or how NBC News or CNN or CBS or you know, but the fact that there aren't so many people playing by the same rules. Yeah, I guess. Is there a such thing as can you keep a secret in a place yeah. like Washington, D.C. Right. anymore? Because you have people who yeah. are who are going to run it, you know, with 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 a uh, with half half a source. Yeah. No, that if I were if you were to ask me what the biggest challenge right now in this line of work is, it's that. That that wrestling of standards and the constant fire hose of information that's out there all the time. And, you know. I say this all the time when I talk to young journalism students um, is that the first amendment uh, has made journalism one of the, a profession that requires no credentialing, right? Like we don't let people practice medicine in this country without a license. We don't let people teach school in this country without a license. We don't let people drive cars in this country without a license. Anybody can be a reporter and there's no prohibition on being a reporter uh, you do not need any kind of credential or schooling or education or anything like that. You basically just need a platform. And when I first started coming up in the late 90s, um, you had to have the platforms were the barrier, right? And all these platforms had standards of their own and you needed to abide by those standards in order to be taken seriously. And, you know, over the past two decades, the platforms have exploded and the uh, need for information on these platforms has exploded. And the standards, have, there's, you know, a, a direct proportional uh, correlation between the, the reduction of standards and the proliferation of outlets. I mean, that it goes without saying. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating for us because NBC standards and when I was at CNN, we had very strict standards. You know, for us to report anything, it has to abide by a very strict set of standards or it's not getting on any NBC platform. And that includes our individual Twitter accounts. If we tweet something or exit or whatever it's called now. If we do that and it doesn't abide by NBC standards, we're going to get in trouble for that. We had a call this morning where our standards person led off the call to remind us about very specific standards that we must abide by when reporting on the situation uh, with Israel and Hamas. So, but there are a ton of other people that are up here, many of them doing good reporting, who don't have any kind of standard that they have to adhere to through their uh, various news organizations. And um, there's nobody stopping that. The First Amendment allows that to happen. And I'm not even saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's changed the delivery of information uh, pretty dramatically in a relatively short period of time. And I don't know if the public fully understands that. And I think that, that that's, that's been a huge challenge, I think, for us in the past you know, five to 10 years. You mentioned uh, the platform. And again, this is nuance. And this is mm -hmm. me asking. I, I ask these questions out of my own curiosity. If the if mm -hmm. people listening to the podcast don't care, well, screw them. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm running this show. Um, so you were on MSNBC today, uh, pinch hitting yeah. for uh, Andrea Mitchell. And right. you're anchoring. Now, of course, anchoring her program is different than what you're going to see at night. Um, however, um, Lawrence O'Donnell will deliver a scathing monologue to start off his show right. that Lester Holt is not going to do on NBC mm -hmm. news. Is there a, is there a, 
is there something that you need to be cognizant of when you're on a different platform within the NBC family? Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm never going to fill in on Lawrence O'Donnell's show. That's a different that's a different lane than what I provide NBC News. Um, and, you know, I think MSNBC in particular has been very transparent about uh, what type of news or what type of programming, I should say, is being delivered at what day part. And there are clear, uh, there are um, hosts on MSNBC in particular that are, are clearly providing what they call perspective programming. That is not, you know, straight news, if you will. And so if, if and when we appear on those shows that have a clear perspective, um, uh, you know, in their delivery, you know, the role that I would play in that is just to come on and say, this is what happened here today. And then Ryan, thank you. And then let's move on and give our analysis of that. Um, and I, you know, I have to, I think MSNBC in particular does a very good job of making sure that the viewers understand that, you know, Rachel Maddow is different than Andrea Mitchell. And they both provide, I think, an important piece of the dialogue surrounding some of these important news stories that we're covering, but they are different. And I guess and what I mean role, though, right? Like yeah. here in watching in Buffalo here is on channel two. Um, so, but you don't have that type of show anywhere on yeah. channel two, whereas MSNBC or CNBC right. does have those, those shows. So when you are, but you you know, that's even changing in local news. Um, you know, if you, if you look around the country, there, there are local news channels that are experience experimenting more with kind of personality perspective driven, um, you know, quote unquote news shows. Uh, It's probably not happening in Buffalo yet, but you know, there are examples of it in different places. And, you know, my whole thing about it is, and I, I I know the point you're making, which is, is the, does, is the, you do because I don't, I'm just, I'm (laughs) just, well, maybe words are just coming out and we're, we're, I'm, I'm just enjoying the chat. I think the question is, do our viewers as understanding about the differentiation that we are trying to make when we talk about the difference between perspective programming and, and straight news. And uh, you know, that I think is an unknown. Um, and I, you know, I do there, I would not be surprised at all if there's confusion over that, you know, like I try when I, I tell people all the time that I'm an NBC news correspondent that appears on MSNBC. I'm not an MSNBC correspondent that to probably the average viewers is a distinction without a difference. But it actually in the in the delivery of news and what my responsibilities are for the network is actually is 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 very important. So um, when I was at the Buffalo News, I told people I worked for Berkshire Hathaway. (laughs) And then they could figure out which branch I was in. Yeah. But Ellsberg Diamonds, perhaps. Yeah. But Coca-Cola, who's to say? Right. But this is an example, Tim. I'm glad you brought that point up because, you know, for years and I remember um, when I worked in Utica and, you know, when newspapers were king, um, which wasn't that long ago, um, you know, uh, people would be really upset with the editorial pages of any given newspaper. I'm, the Utica Observer Dispatch used to write these blistering editorials about city government or whatever the case may be. And I remember it frustrating the, the reporters that I worked with because then they'd go into city hall to try and get an interview with the mayor and the mayor would be like, you just wrote this scathing editorial about me. And the reporters would be like, I didn't write that. Our editorial department is completely different than our news department. And so I think it's the same thing. Like, you know, MS has people that give their opinions that's different than the the news that we're delivering. No different than the Buffalo News had has an editorial section where they provide uh, an opinion on something or they even have specific columnists uh, that under their own name will give their opinions. That's different than what the straight news reporters are, are, are doing and what their responsibilities are. How much different is your approach and your headspace when you're anchoring one day, reporting the next day? Is it, you know, how do you kind of toe that line and do both at the same time? So the, I mean, the biggest thing I try and do is just be as read in on everything as much as humanly possible. You know, I have the very specific things that I'm responsible to, to keep in touch with. And, and, and I do think that covering Capitol Hill uh, makes that process a little bit easier because everything touches Capitol Hill. You know, if there's, you know, war, if there's a natural disaster, if there's, you know, a mass shooting, uh, that will always come back to the Capitol Hill space because it's automatically 
you know, if there's some sort of world calamity that's automatically going to be focused on Capitol Hill as to what can be done to fix it. So that requires you as a reporter to stay pretty well invested in every news story, even if you're not, you know, if you can't speak to it on a granular level, at least understanding it from a 30,000 foot view is really important. So that makes it easier. Like what I'm anchoring today, like the, you know, the show today was, I think 75 to 80% of it was about the Israeli Hamas conflict. We had a little bit of the Trump trial in there and a few other things, but it was mainly about that. Well, I've been, you know, I am pretty well versed in what's going on there because it's a huge debate up here on Capitol Hill about funding and, and what is the best course of action for the American government. So, you know, I, it's just part of the job. That's, uh, you know, lucky for me, I'm interested in that stuff. I, I like to stay plugged in on things like that. So it's not a, a heavy lift. Um, but, uh, you know, the biggest thing as a reporter, and especially a reporter that touches a lot of different beasts, is you just got to stay as connected to things as possible. And I think the other thing too is, and I always say this, is that I think my local news background um, played a huge role in the ability to kind of multitask a lot of different beats. Because when I was a local news reporter, you'd walk in every day and you you could cover a fire one day, you could be covering, you know, a festival the next day, you could be recovering or could be covering a, a city hall scandal the day after that. You never knew what type of subject you could get thrown into. And, and usually it was like a day turn. You had to become an expert on that at 9 a.m. and then turn the piece for the six o'clock news. So, um, you know, kind of being able to wade through uh, the stuff that's not as important and zero in on the things that viewers care about, you know, that just comes with experience, I think. I also think it was impressive that while you were filling in for Andrea Mitchell today, you were texting Tim Graham about your appearance on Tim Graham and Friends <laughs> by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. Yes. And I was also texting my wife about something happening with our kids and texting uh, my You're colleague, Garrett Hake. I, I, this is funny. I'm going to name drop Garrett Hake. Uh, he, he texted me during the show. While the show was happening, he texted me to ask if I was working today. So, who did? Garrett Hake, who I oh. work with. While the show is happening, he texted me to ask if I was working today. Turn your TV on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Is that because you're on a different channel? They were looking for you on the wrong end. No, he just, <laughs> he just wasn't. He just didn't. He was up here at the Capitol. You guys own the Weather around, Channel, so. too, right? Where they at? No, we don't own the Weather Channel. Who owns no. the Weather Channel? I think CBS does now, or they have oh, some sorry, sort of partnership I'm getting, with them. Maybe that's yeah. a Jeff Glore question. Yes, exactly. When you have Jeff on, you can ask him. Hey, speaking, he was just on a few weeks back, but you know, a yeah. friend of the show is Josh Mankiewicz. Is oh, that yes. is that a bit of NBC journalism you'd like to get into? Because it's about the only thing you're not in, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so if you were, if somebody, Dateline, if they were to come to you at some point and yes. say, "We want you to be in the core Dateline group." Yes, that we we want you to be in there with Keith and Josh. Right. Would you go um, for that? I I I'd be crazy to say no to that. I don't ever think that that's something that my career path is headed toward. Just because I've never really done that type of reporting on a, a regular basis, like courts and crime, has never really been a beat of mine. I've done it a little bit. Um, but to answer your question, Dateline is one of, if not the, you know, the pinnacles of journalism uh, in terms of an assignment. In fact, my, our, my friend Blaine Alexander, who's our, our correspondent from uh, Atlanta, just got her first dateline and all of us were thrilled for her to get that. So if you get that dateline assignment, that is a huge, huge feather in your cap. Is that because and, it's easy money? <laughs> no, it's because it has such a massive audience. I mean, it you're does. talking like, you know, quadruple what you're going to see anywhere else. But it's so funny you mentioned Josh Mankiewicz because I've been such a huge fan of his for so long and i had this thing a couple weeks ago where i was questioning a congressman in a, a press conference and it went kind of somewhat viral I, I wouldn't describe it as full-on viral but i got an email from josh mankowitz out of the blue uh congratulating me on that moment and that was like one of the coolest things ever to hear from josh mankowitz as like a colleague you know from my nbc email so that was that was pretty neat what about sunday night football uh, how does that slot in oh. the prestige rankings and might we see yeah, you know, so, some of these bills games yeah but so yeah the this. bills actually play on sunday nights uh the past few this years week, unlike yeah. most of your life so so the other thing i'm going to brag about um 
name drop a little bit is that I have gotten to become uh, pretty familiar uh, with Mike Tirico. And uh, Frank is rolling his eyes because I've told this story a million times too. But um, so the, the background on that is uh, a couple, uh, you know, a few months ago, the, there was a big Senate hearing on uh, the PGA Live Golf merger. And Nightly News asked me to uh, do a story on it. And the producer, uh, Ben Mayer, said, you should reach out to Mike Tirico to see if he would talk to you about this. I'm like, Mike Tirico, are you kidding? This, yeah, no way. And so I just went in the NBC email and emailed uh, Mike Tirico. And uh, 24 hours later, I get this call from a Michigan number on my phone. And it's Mike Tirico. And he's like, hey, Ryan, I'm on vacation. So I can't do this interview. He goes, but what do you want to know about the PGA Live Golf thing? And we talked for like a half an hour. He was like unbelievably gracious with his time. Told me everything I could possibly need to know about this whole controversy with P with the PGA and Live Golf. And then connected me with Rich Lerner from the Golf Channel, who was actually up here that day. And we did a thing on the Golf Channel with Rich and, and got to know him a little bit. He's also fantastic. And, but then I thought, well, this is just Mike Tirico doing a solid for another NBC person. Like he'll probably, he, well, he's like, this is my cell. Text me anytime you have a question about this. And I'm like, you know, that was super cool of him. But like, I doubt I'll ever see Mike Tirico again. Well, then he was up in D.C. Um, for an event that the, they had at the ambassador's residence. You've interviewed uh, the president. Yeah, I know. I know. Mike Tirico. But so then, uh, but anyway, we were at this event. You sound like me we, and O.J. Yeah. <laughs> So we're at this event because for the Olympics, because Par the Paris Olympics is a year from now. And Mike Tirico is the MC, and he sees me uh, from across the room and he like comes over and talks like we're old friends. And we we talked all day and uh, at the event and he was so and he met everybody from the team. And he is seriously one of the nicest, most down to earth human beings there are. And uh, and so, yeah, I was that was a, a huge thrill. And, and uh, whether or not I'll ever get a spot on Sunday Night Football. I doubt, but I will. I'm going to text him about it right now, actually, because I can text him because he's in my he's in my phone. So, so tell us uh, what do you, how are you feeling about your Bills heading into Sunday night game, Sunday night football on your network? Yes, this was not right. concocted, but it's just now dawning on me that this, this game out. is on NBC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about uh, the Bills, so, Cincinnati, and the rest of the schedule? So I'm going through kind of an existential crisis with my Bills fandom um, that my wife is, is uh, probably most directly um, feeling the consequences of. I've gotten to the stage in my life where I am way more bothered by the losses than I am thrilled by the wins. And that is something that is really starting to gnaw at me. And I don't know the way out of it. Like I've gotten, you know, I think the last couple of years of like touching and like maybe seeing the possibility of them winning at all has almost corrupted me to a certain extent because, you know, for the bulk of my life, I was a Bills fan without any kind of real consequence. Like whether or not they won or lost, I hope they won, but it did, like didn't really matter. And now that these games matter so much, I find myself so invested in them winning that when they win, I just feel like a small degree of relief. And then I immediately start worrying about the next week. And when they lose, I am so angry about it. And like, I, I feel so terrible for my wife because Sundays are like, she just like has so much anxiety because I end up being such a jerk the rest of the day uh, if they don't do well. And, and the way they've lost this year has been like, especially frustrating um, because they've lost to teams they shouldn't have lost to. So I don't know. Um, in terms of whether or not, I still think they're really good. I still think they could potentially win it all. But what I'm worried about is that I'm not going to enjoy it as much because I've, I've put too much into it. Does that make sense? It does. I think it's, it, you may have to get to the point where you will, it'll probably be a release if they were to win it all. Um, I would and think, of course yeah. that would be, but anything short of that is probably a, a huge disappointment. But they may, but there's like a very good chance they may never win it all. You know, like that. Uh, and so I don't know. Odds are, just, odds are they should have won one and a half Super Bowls by now, right? There's 32 right. teams in the NFL, exactly. or, uh, right. however many Super Bowls are on now. Yes. Uh, they got yeah. the four, uh, you know, the math. Hey, you're talking to a guy from Cleveland. So, right. Yeah. Uh, I get it. <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. And this is this schedule. I mean, it's going to be a tough one down the stretch here, starting with Sunday night's game. 
Yeah, I think at, Sunday night's at gonna, Philly, the, at Kansas yeah. City, Dallas at home, and how'd yeah, you and, handle you know, the Patriots game then? Oh my gosh! So actually, the Patriots game I was in New York for. Uh, my brother uh, was recording his comedy album. Uh, my brother is a stand-up comedian, and um, my whole. I was going to ask you about that, so I want you to yeah. brag on your brother because I saw, yeah. I saw that on Instagram, and I, yeah, I wanted to know more. That's actually yeah, how I learned you're from Gary and not from Jamestown because he claims Gary you've you've shunned Gary I have not shunned Gary you've always said proud. Jamestown and your I've brother never... embraces it and you should be ashamed I've always said near Jamestown outside of Jamestown but I am that's, a proud that's Gary. true you do proud, proud uh former resident of the of the rodeo city um no uh I so I was in New York and we uh, and a, so a, a bunch of my family members uh, my uh cousins from uh, North Tonawanda and my parents all descended on New York to see my brother record this comedy album. We were all supposed to meet at a Bill's bar in Manhattan and my flight got delayed. So I ended up having to take a train and I ended up not getting to Manhattan until like halftime of the game. And it, there wasn't going to be enough time to go. So I watched it in my hotel room and was just like literally sick. Like I had a, a, a sick stomach uh, the entire time. And then when I thought they were going to win again, this thing was like, just it was like a modicum of relief and then when they lost i was almost like they deserved to lose like that they didn't deserve to win that game um and you know it, so yeah that's it just it, it's a perfect example of how frustrated i am as a fan um that kind of loss is the kind of loss that has just annoyed me for so long and i think annoys me too much and like i don't know if i need to see a therapist about it or what uh, because it's like, <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, it's like, uh, it's vexing me, I guess. It reminds me, well, uh, vaguely reminiscent of a discussion I had with some of the Sabres, uh, from those 05, 06, 06, 07 yeah. teams who got so close. Uh, and then they said they got so close and with all those injuries in 06 to the defense and, they probably should have won. That was their best chance. And then to come back the next year and they were almost on autopilot, they win the president's trophy. Yep. But so uh, I, I, I can, I think three or four different players. I know Daniel Briere said this to me. Ryan Miller has said this to me, Jamie. Well, not Jamie. He wasn't on that team. Um, Teppo Newman has said it to me is that they, they just wanted to get right to the playoffs even though they were really right. great in the regular season, they didn't care about it. And yeah. there's almost like some of that, like you're as a fan, this is like eating, eating your vegetables. Almost. Yeah. It's like, like, can we just get to the tournament and see what happens, please? Um, well, and, and I remember like, yeah, you know, so many years as a bills fan, like the, by this point in the season, we'd already be talking about, uh, draft picks, you know, like, you know the right. games were so, were so inconsequential. We'd be watching college games, you know, Jeremy and Howard on GR would like have the list of what, uh, you know, which college games to watch this weekend to see which potential quarterback would be there. Um, and so, uh, yeah. They're going to look at a, whose contracts are going to be up for free agency. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's such the regular season is such a different experience now. And it's funny you mentioned that 06, 05, 06 run for the Sabres. Cause I remember them losing, they lost to Carolina, right? In the, um, right. In the Eastern uh, conference the final, Eastern conference finals. And I was so annoyed because my sister had moved to Raleigh and was wearing Carolina gear. I, I will never forgive her for that. And, um, and I just remember after that game, after that series being like, man, I'm way too invested in this. Uh, and then, you know, the Sabres have been so terrible since then that, uh, it hasn't been as, as much of an issue with them. Um, but you know, I guess, you know, I, maybe I'll get over this hump and, can just appreciate it for what it was. It was, you know, one of my brother's friends was at this comedy show and uh, he was like, dude, you're, you know, it's just about like going to a game and, and having a couple of beers and just enjoying each other. And who cares if they win or lose and we're putting too much into it. Um, and I, you know, I think the thing is like, and I, I'm a Mets fan too. I'm a Mets fan kind of by marriage and I care a lot about whether or not the Mets win or lose, but um, it's not the same level of. Well, you're conditioned to shake that shit off. I know, I know. Uh, but it's not the same level of passion I have for the Buffalo teams because I, the Buffalo teams, I feel like are part of my identity. It's like part of my DNA. Um, it's like, you know, uh, you know, those of us that are transplants uh, that are from other, 
you know, that live in other places that are from Buffalo have this kind of like, um, you know, very like important pride that we display uh, and, you know, the, the sports teams kind of embody everything we kind of feel about Western New York. And I pay my kids a dollar uh, every time they see somebody like in the shopping mall or uh, somewhere with the Bills gear on, they get a dollar if they yell, go Bills. <laughs> so like, and that's just part of like, you know, that's me showing pride in, in, in being from Western New York. and Typical and, and media of, indoctrination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, you know, kind of instilling that. You better in, in hope them. a certain segment yeah. of uh, the population hasn't stuck with uh, Tim Graham and friends for the, for the last 58 <laughs> minutes to get to that sound bite. <laughs> Paying your kids. What, what do you think, kind of mentioning that, where, where do you think the fandom for you or for people, you know, changes from go Bills, root for the home team no matter what's going on too you can't enjoy it unless they're winning the super bowl yeah i don't know that's a good question um you know i think how old are your kids ryan so 13 12 10 and 6 and is that playing into it at all because i think that that played a part into my fandom i got pretty jaded about sports in general and then my son my daughter couldn't care about sports she doesn't mm-hmm. know if a football is, you know, filled with rubber or stuff with feathers. But yeah. my son is into baseball and basketball mostly. He's into all sports, but he plays yeah. baseball and basketball. And those were the sports I never covered. So I was able to kind of just yeah. fall in love right. with some aspects of sports again. Um, and I'm still cynical about the NFL and the NHL because uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that'll ever change just because that's what I've I've covered the most, but yeah. in college sports, especially. Yeah. But I don't know. Is there an aspect of watching it with your kids that helps? So it's interesting. My, uh, my two older ones uh, kind of nominally are into it just because I ask them to be into it. But my 10 year old is my athlete. Um, she's a, a, a star swimmer and she's uh she plays travel soccer and she's the one that, so I, you know, I'll never forget the memory of her sitting on my lap uh, in the 13 seconds game. And I've never seen her more excited about something than when we thought that they had won that game. And then kind of the sheer, just, you know, letting the air out and disappointment in her eyes uh, when they didn't win and she couldn't understand it. Um, So I do think that there is another round of like, sharing this experience with my kids. I took my 12 year old and my 10 year old um, to the game in Washington, which was a great experience for them. Cause it was like 75% bills fans and they absolutely crushed Washington. Um, so that was great. Um, but I do, you know, my fandom is kind of separate from my kids at this point. Uh, and I think my kids are kind of annoyed that I'm more into it than I should be. <laughs> If it makes you feel any better, or you can pass this along to your daughter, there is a member, a a very prominent member, a wall of fame member of those Super Bowl teams who told me that watching 13 seconds hurt more than wide right. Oh, really? Yes. And he was, and he was in the game for wide right. Yeah. Uh, And he was crazy. And he said that, yeah, because. Well, you know, I think that. You know, it's interesting. I feel like wide right is one of those things that hurts more now than it even did then. Because I think the thing about wide right was, I mean, that was the first of four Super Bowls. The team was so young at that point. We thought they were going to be a dynasty. And so I, you know, I remember thinking after wide right, I mean, I was young. I was you know, a freshman in high school or even maybe in eighth grade thinking like, oh, well, that's okay. That's just the step before they get to this point. And now I think I can understand why 13 seconds was worse because you understand now how difficult it is to get to the position of wide, right. And to piss it away. uh, And then have to start from scratch is, is really debilitating. And I don't think we understood that at wide, right. The same way we understand it at 13 seconds. Does that make another difference at that point? It was the first time the bills had ever played in the super bowl. Yep. And early in that uh, run for that era, I think there was a celebration of even though the Bills didn't win the Super Bowl, getting to the Super Bowl and almost yes. winning was 
something to be proud of and happy about. And that's, that's not there right now. If the Bills, yeah. maybe if they get to the Super Bowl, but if the Bills lose the AFC Championship game, they might as well have went 2-15. and 15. I think that's yeah. how the reaction is going to be from the fan base. I totally agree with that, Jonah. I, I think that – I do think that if they get to the Super Bowl again, there will be a lot of kind of excitement in a way that there hasn't before. But, yeah, I think, man, it's not going to matter until they win it all. I don't – yeah, and I don't know if that will ever happen. Well, Ryan, we kept you for way, way longer yeah. than I said. Uh, do you, you don't have any shifts tonight? No, I think we're, I don't think I have anything else to do today. Is your so, handler, what's he got to say about it? Frank, Frank, do we have anything else to do tonight? Nope, we're good. Frank says we're good. Right. <laughs> we never say that, you know, in news, you never, there's a few words you don't say in news because then, then things go the opposite way. So what is the bridge too far when it comes to winding down for the day? When is it official? When, you know, the tie, uh, you can obviously put it, is it when you take the makeup off? Is it the glasses versus <laughs> so the I, contacts? Is it, I do have a, I do have a rule that I don't undo my tie. This is actually, I've never said this out loud to anyone. I don't undo my tie until I'm physically in my car to drive home. That's, that's, that's my kind of my rule of thumb. But, but yeah. Uh, but have you ever gotten in your car and been called back? Oh yeah, plenty of times. So that's not a necessarily lot. the bridge. It too doesn't far. mean it's, it's not over. like yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never. There's always the chance that you could get called back. There's always the chance. Um, you know, it, on this team, uh, you know, working for a place like NBC, we have a lot of people and a lot of resources. So there's less chance of that because, you know, generally we're kind of covering. But like tonight, if something crazy were to happen tonight regarding Capitol Hill or maybe even DC proper, it, it would probably be me that would be tapped to do it. Um, Cause Garrett worked early this morning, Garrett Hayko, who was kind of my mirror. And then. Um, Sounded like Garrett but, was kind of slacking off based on pre what we talked about previously. <laughs> he definitely was not. He definitely was not. I don't want you to give that impression at all. No. Um, he thought I was, he thought I was slacking off. For anchoring <laughs> and texting me and your family. But, there's plenty of times uh, Garrett's anchoring that I don't know about. So you have set uh, days off. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I have weekends off. Yeah. Are you on call? And, like, you know, no, no, unless something huge happens. I mean, it's got to be. Yeah. NBC is actually, I have to say, like their NBC is like exceptionally good when it comes to family stuff. Like I took Tuesday and Wednesday off for Halloween because Halloween is like my kids' number one. Like they love Halloween more than anything. And when it's in the middle of the week, like you think you can fit it in around a work day and it never works out that way. So I figured out a couple of years ago, like take Halloween and the day off after. And it's such a much better experience. I highly recommend that to parents if you can do it. Um, and they let me take it off this week and it was amazing. So do you yeah. have to punch out for meal breaks when you need to record a podcast? <laughs> No, but there's no, there's no. You, Jonah, out. is that what you have to do at Channel Four? Yeah, I'm asking the questions, not answering them. Oh, I see. Hey, uh, last question for you because I looked up uh, Jerry New York on Wikipedia. It Jerry, lists RG, two. RG. It lists two notable uh, people. Yeah, I'm Jerry. Let me, guess. let me guess who one of them is. <laughs> Go ahead. One of them's my brother because he updated it. That that's his edit. False. <laughs> Do you think he did that? And has it been because I can look at the history and see if somebody took it is off. Is he not? Is he not there anymore? He's not. He was there. They take it off. He took it. Now, let me look. So who are the Who are the two then? I don't know. I haven't looked at it in a long time. Oh, I'm looking to see if they they shot him down because you can go in and look at edits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, there's a baseball player, right? Like an old general John Schofield, uh, former secretary of war. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, and uh, Hugh Bedient who uh, went to Falconer high school and played for the, uh, the 19 yes. teens uh, uh, Red Sox. Yeah, but where's sure. Ryan Nobles? I don't know. I am on the notable alumni list, uh, uh, Wikipedia for uh, Brockport, but I have not made the Gary New York cut. You can update that if you want. I want to see if your brother tried to do it and it was taken off. It was, he was definitely on there at one point and I know that he did it himself. So, well, Hey, he's a comedian. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's, and that's funny. Yes, it is. 
<laughs> Brian, thanks yeah. for doing this. You're, I mean, look, you're a mensch and, um, I can't thank you enough. Um, the folks here in Western New York love hearing from you. I, I took way too much of your time. I was even giving you the slow roll and the, maybe the okie doke about me being <laughs> under the weather. We were going to do it quick. And here we are at an hour. It's all right, dude. So, it's, it's cathartic. I don't get the opportunity to, to vent about the bills and that very much. And, and I love, uh, being able to connect with the people in Western New York. So but we I, put you I through you the paces on all the political stuff too. Is there anything yeah. more sp- you want to, you want to, you want to vent your spleen on the Sabres or. No, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by the Sabres. I'm excited. I think that, you know, uh, I think they've got a lot of potential. I'm, I like the young core. I like that. I like, uh, that Adams is signing these guys young, kind of like the Atlanta Braves model, um, which I think will pay dividends long-term. Um, they're obviously the, the goaltending is a, is a area of concern right now, but I think, um, I like Granado. I, you know, I, I, you know, I am ponied up the hundred bucks on ESPN plus so that I can watch all the games. So for better, or for worse. All right. Well, Ryan, enjoy your weekend. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks. Gentlemen. I feel awful, but you, Ryan. it's <laughs> yeah, a hell of a show and I, and I'm grateful for it. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thanks. Take care. Ryan Nobles from NBC News here on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400. 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you.